Let me pray. We ask our Heavenly Father that tonight, right now, by your wonderful Holy Spirit, you might speak to us and help us to understand who you are and how you work supernaturally in this world and what that means for us right here tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First, I want to stake my life on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the agenda. That's the news as far as I'm concerned. The main contest today in the world in which we live is a contest between the men and women who think that this world is all there is and therefore there is no hope, no eternal life, no God, no forgiveness of sins, no Holy Spirit... And those who believe, as I do, that God is true, that his kingdom will come, that there is eternal life, and that angels exist. I believe in the Holy Spirit and angels and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what I'm on about. End quote. Anyone have any idea who said that and when? It was Archbishop Peter Jensen at his very first media conference 21 years ago. And you notice he mentioned angels. Why would he, in the opening ball of the whole test match that is his archiepiscopal rule, that in that time he would talk about angels? Why did he go out of his way to say that he believes that angels exist? Well, someone told me, smarter than me, uh, that it's because that's how the great Christian apologist Francis Schaeffer started his first philosophy lecture for the year. Uh, to which apparently he said, there is really no point you listening to my philosophical arguments if you don't grasp the profound importance of this fact. I believe in angels. What about you? How do you feel about the idea of believing in angels? How do you feel about people thinking that you're one of those people who believes in angels? Are you worried that they might think that you believe in fairies as well and in purple unicorns and other things like that? If you believe in angels, it's like you're a bit... You know, is that what you're concerned about when you believe in angels? You can see why this message... I remember... The press conference at which Peter Jensen said that 21 years ago, and I recalled it from my memory when I was preparing this talk this week, it was so significant that he would say that to our secular world. But if we believe in what the Bible says, we've got to believe in angels. And we've got to believe in eternal life. And we've got to believe in the forgiveness of sins. And we've got to believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It's a package deal because we are supernatural people. That is who we are. Which is why we shouldn't be surprised to read about the supernatural visions of Daniel. Uh, it's been weird and wonderful, hasn't it? We're up to chapter 10. We've had 10 goes at this. And next week will be 11 and 12 all switched in together as our final week. 
And as we've seen this story of Daniel, we've seen a whole lot of strange dreams, miraculous interpretations, and we've witnessed the, the supernatural hand of God. I mean, literally, we've seen God's hand in this world, and it has been supernatural. We've also seen some extraordinary visions about the future. They are visions that helped Daniel know that his God ruled really. And he saw that even though the superpowers of the planet were mighty and brutal and terrifying, these superpowers ruled under the power of the ultimate ruler, the God of Daniel. Now, if you've been coming along with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that I've often used the word apocalyptic to describe this kind of literature. It's a special kind of literature in the Bible. It appears from time to time, not that much actually, but it's a time when God's people are really under the pump, when things are really, really tough, that God will use apocalyptic writing, just like it was for Daniel. And what do we know about apocalyptic writing? Well, it's weird. It's got weird animals with lots of heads and horns and, and weird numbers that mean weird things and, and weird other stuff. Lots of weird stuff. But all of these things represent kingdoms and kings and people and different things like that. They're not designed to be taken literally, although at times we, they will be explained and will lock into specific things as we've seen in the back end of Daniel. In all of this, the message is true. But the strange way it's communicated is supposed to, to not just say, you know, here are the bullet points, but, but actually to give us a visceral experience of God's rule and his power over the universe and how we fit into it. It's kind of like it's, it's almost taking words and adding music to it and, and adding drama. It's, this is what we get as we hit apocalyptic literature. Uh, Daniel's been going through a really hard time, I've mentioned it already, but Jerusalem, which is the hub of God's action in the Old Testament, has been smashed. Most of the people who were there were killed and a couple of the keen beans of the next generation were dragged away, given new names, new languages, new culture, and they tried to smash out of them everything that was of the Jews. And it's been really, really tough. And God's people have been saying... How long, O oh Lord? And he came up with an answer. He said, well, thanks for asking. 70 years. It's in a few parts of the Bible. 70 years you'll be there in Babylon and then I'll bring you back. And you know how he brings, him, brings them all back? This is a cool bit, right? The Lord used King Cyrus to end the exile. You may not know much about King Cyrus, but he's a Persian king. He's not one of God's own people, he's another foreign guy outside the kingdom of God. And hear these words in the opening verses of Ezra, which is another part of the Bible. I'll read four verses. It gives you an idea of how extraordinary this is. It says, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he'd given through Jeremiah, which we've been hearing over the last few weeks about the 70 years and stuff like that. He, the Lord stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. Okay, what's the proclamation? He says, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. True, he's a superpower by now. He has appointed me to build him 
a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Pretty bizarre. And, but wait, there's more. Verse 4. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbours contribute towards their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. You know, not only is this other guy, King Cyrus of Persia, saying, I want God's people to go back to Jerusalem. He's saying, I want them to go back there. I want them to build the temple and I'm going to have my people pay for it. It's like in the same way that we were shocked to see that God would use King Nebuchadnezzar to cause such pain to his people, that at the same time, God would use another foreign king to bring such salvation to his people. Both of those are there. God's hand is in the lot of it. And in all of this, you think it's a time for peace. They're back where they need to be. They're back in Jerusalem. They're back in the hub of God's place, in God's land. But that's not the way that Daniel sees it, because it's not the way that God shows it to him. For we read at the start of chapter 10, which is our reading tonight, in the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, the good guy, right? Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. Three years since King Cyrus has come in, worked it all out that God's people would go back and get the cash to do it. But now Daniel has a vision showing war and hardship, hardship that will happen in the future. And it shows that the wonderful exile, return, return from exile, is not the end of the story. It's not the happy ending. It's actually, there's more that will happen and it will be sad and it will be hard. There's more conflict to come. It's a little bit like those plot twists where you see someone and they're all drowning at sea and then suddenly they find a boat and it's like, ah, they're saved. They get into the boat and they realise it's got a huge hole in it and it starts to sink. You think, oh. Or, you know, like in in Star Wars, you know, they're they're running away from the stormtroopers. They end up in the giant garbage compartment. It's like, ah. And then it's like, no. It's like when there's one bit of safety into another problem. It's a bit like that with God's people and this is right what Daniel sees. They get safety, they get peace. Yeah, but it's not all good. And by the time Daniel gets this vision, he's already been in mourning. Verse 2 and 3, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time I'd eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. Basically, he's off his food, and he hasn't really had a proper wash. He's not happy he's mourning about the future and it's the news has shaken him to the core because he realizes that just getting back to jerusalem doesn't mean that it's a happy ending right yet you know it's a little bit like the life after the exodus from egypt Uh, that was what looked like crushing defeat for god's people and yet god in his kindness led them out of egypt And set them on the journey towards the promised land. And you think, well, they get into the promised land, it's all good, everything's fine. But not really quite there yet. There's hardship that comes. And it's a bit like life after Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus says, it is finished. 2,000 years ago. 
And even though it is finished, we continue to see hardship. We continue to experience hardship. We wait for the time when the pain of this life, this side of heaven, will stop, when we will, Jesus will return. But in the meantime, we wait. And so it was for John's, uh, with the revelation of John for God's people in the first century. They were going through hardship. And so are we as well. And it's an important remember, thing to remember that just because following Jesus is hard and painful for many, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't victorious. I've said this statistic before, but, but more people have died for following Jesus in the last century than in all of history combined. Now, it doesn't happen much in Kiama, Jamboree, Albion Park, Shell Harbour, but there are parts of the world where people are dying every hour because they follow Jesus and only because they follow Jesus. And you might say that that means that Jesus didn't do his job properly or he didn't really conquer sin and he didn't really remove the power of the devil and the answer is no you're wrong he did but this is what life is like as we await his return well God's people had returned from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild that temple but Daniel saw that the future was still going to be painful and we hear more about that now he says in um, verse 4 on April the 23rd as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Sounds a whole lot like the book of Revelation, doesn't it? It's that kind of thing. You get the picture? This specific day in history Daniel's standing there and he sees this man and what we see is it is it is not God speaking but it's somebody else who is speaking on God's behalf it appears to be an angel and this angel is terrifying and this is the, you know it, it's a kind of the the thing of kids nightmares it, it, it's the kind of the thing of of grown-ups nightmares right and this was the, action, the reaction, verse 7. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision, but the men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and they ran away to hide. Okay. They didn't even see the thing. And they're like, ah! And you imagine what Daniel was like, because he actually got to see the thing. And, well, verse 8 and 9, he says, so I was left there all alone, see you guys, to see this amazing vision. My strength left me, my face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. And then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted. And I lay there with my face to the ground. We don't get a whole lot of detail about the vision, but it is absolutely terrifying. Daniel has physical reactions to the fear of the vision, like the experience. Basically, all the blood runs away from his brain and he collapses. It's that terrifying. But then he's comforted. Verse 10. Just then, a hand touched me and lifted me. Lifted me, still trembling, to my hands and my feet. Uh, uh, this man physically touches Daniel, lifts him up, and Daniel receives comfort. It's lovely, isn't it? And this physical support 
came with not, not just a touch that lifted him up, but words, words from God via this man that brought great encouragement and comfort. Verse 11, and the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, mate, for I have been sent to you. It's lovely, isn't it? You are very precious to God. And then when he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. It, it still it takes a little while for the adrenaline to just sort of settle down. It's like, okay, I'm much better now. Still, it's still trembling. But in this here, we, we again hear the words that we heard in the previous chapter. You are very precious to God, and it's going to come up again in a little while. The Lord tells Daniel how valuable he is to him. It is a beautiful word in a time of fear. It's true of you to God as well. You are very precious to him. Don't forget it. And then after that, he says this. Don't be afraid. You're very precious to God. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Who else said, fear not? Who else said, do not be afraid? Jesus did. Jesus did on many occasions. And I was doing a bit of a search on my computer, trying to see all the times he did, and thought, is there a particularly good one I could sort of flash up on the screen to sort of say, here's the link? And I found one and realised, actually, the link is stronger, even, even stronger. Have a look at this in Matthew 17. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified, and they fell face down on the ground. Sounds similar. And then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. It's pretty similar, isn't it? The same kind of thing happening. What happened to Daniel as he had this theophany, as the experience of coming into the presence of God, and he falls down absolutely terrified, and this man puts his hand on his shoulder, lifts him up and says, you're very precious to God. Don't be afraid. It's just like what Jesus did when they were there at that transfiguration, as they themselves had a similar kind of thing. What we see is that the Lord's servant told Daniel not to be afraid. And then he tells him some wonderful news to bring him comfort. He says, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Now, why is this significant? Well, God himself, through his messenger, tells Daniel that I've been listening to you. I've been hearing your prayers. Right from the moment when you started asking for stuff, Daniel, I've been listening. Now, I wonder if you'd like God to say that to you as well. It's a bit like if you email a support or something like that, and then you get this bounce back and says, oh, you're, you know, you're a, we've received your support, you know, and we'll fix your hard disk or whatever. And you think, oh, okay, they've got my message kind of thing. You sometimes think you're praying to God and you say, you know, dear God, would you, would you please help my friend who's very, very sick? And you hear nothing. You think, well, I guess he's listening. And you pray for other things. You pray for your own life, your own hurt. You pray that God would forgive you. And all these things you think, gee, I hope I'm not just some idiot who's talking to the roof. 
If Daniel ever thought that, what does the Lord say to him? From the moment you spoke, I listened. So when you pray to God and you think, I just wonder if it's actually getting through, it is. There's a whole section in Luke chapter 11, and, and you can look at it later, but, but Jesus says, and so I tell you, keep asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. It's a whole section there where we see that the Father in heaven loves to hear our prayers. And the experience here of Daniel as he prayed in that moment, he was blessed to have heaven open in a sense and God to speak through this message and say, I'm hearing your prayers, I'm listening, and from the moment you asked, I started sorting stuff out for you. It's mirrored also in the New Testament. It's a wonderful thing there. The wonderful word of comfort. And the incredible thing in all of this is that as we open our mouths to speak our prayers to God, he's already listening and answering our prayers according to his good purpose, which is really cool. But you think that's cool? I, one thing that has amazed me in my life as a Christian is this particular couple of verses I'm about to read to you. And that is, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. So much is the work of God in making prayer powerful that even the Spirit is praying for it. Have a listen to this. Romans 8, 26, 20. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. I get blown away by this. That even when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit is praying for us. So much is God involved in our prayers. And so if you have been praying and praying and praying for something, maybe that you've been praying 70 years as Daniel had been. You've been praying and praying and praying and praying. Do not think that God is not listening, because he is. Be patient and know that he hears your prayers because God has heard your prayer. And he'll answer it in his sovereign way, in his sovereign time, according to his sovereign will. Anyway, back to the story. And after the man in the vision told Daniel, don't fear, he explained why he didn't come straight away, why there was a delay in coming. Verse 13, he says, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Why didn't this man of comfort come any sooner? Why didn't he come sooner? It's because we read that the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked him for three weeks. He was blocked by a spirit prince for three weeks. What does that mean? Who is the prince? What, what is all that on about? Well, Matthew 12 in the New Testament, verse 24, when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. And the word there in the original language is also used for ruler and authority and other things like that. And so often you see it referring to the rule of Satan. 
Satan is called the prince of demons. And so back to Daniel, it seems that the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked his way. And in all of this, we are reminded afresh of what I started as I opened up the sermon, and that is that the spiritual world is real and powerful. It is real and it's powerful. It's unseen, but it doesn't mean it's not real. Andrew Reid, in his terrific little book on Daniel that I've been using, he recalls the events in 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elisha's servant was terrified by a foreign army that came to attack him. It says this from verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and he went outside, there were troops, horses and chariots everywhere. He said, oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha, who's God's man. Elisha said, don't be afraid. Gee, it comes up a lot, doesn't it? Don't be afraid. He says, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Like, really? Oh, I can't see that. But then... Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. The Lord's army was there in force. They couldn't see it. But that doesn't mean that it's not real. And it's not just an Old Testament thing either. In Ephesians chapter 6, famous words... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not, talk, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, yeah, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's a whole lot of spooky sort of stuff. And it's in the New Testament. Someone once told me that there are two mistakes we can make about the devil. On the one hand, we can think that the devil is more powerful than he is. The first thing to note is, don't think that the devil is more powerful than he is. Jesus has broken his power. Hebrews chapter 2. For only as a human being could he die, Jesus, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. That's what he did at the cross. It is finished upon the cross. And from James chapter 4. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee away from you. The devil's defeated. And if we resist him... You'll flee. But there's another mistake that we can make about the devil. And that is we can make the mistake that the devil is less powerful than he really is. So on the other side, don't think that the devil is less powerful than he is. Uh, that's why these verses from Ephesians 6 tell us to put on all of God's armour so that we'll stand firm against him. And there's this warning from 1 Peter. Be alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Also from the New Testament. See, the spiritual world is real 
And the devil continues to impact followers of Jesus, even though his power is broken by the death of Jesus. And even though the events of Daniel chapter 10 happened centuries before what happened at the cross of Christ, the victory there, we know that spiritual, spiritual warfare, we know today that spiritual warfare is still a reality as we re await the return of Jesus. Anyway, back to the story and we see the man said why he was delayed by three weeks. In verse 14 he says, Now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future. For this vision concerns a time yet to come. And while he was speaking to me, I looked down at the ground, unable to say a word, and then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing in front of me, I am filled with anguish because of the vision I have seen, my Lord, and I am very weak. How can someone like me, your servant, talk to you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. So this man touches his lips, and he starts to speak. And he speaks of his weakness. He speaks of his, uh, how the energy has been drained out of him. But then, verse 18, the one who looked like a man touched me again, and I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. There it goes again. And he says, peace, be encouraged, be strong. Daniel gets the same words said to him that Jesus said to the disciples every time they freaked out. He says, don't be afraid. And then he adds these three words. How cool are these? Peace, be encouraged, be strong. They're great words, aren't they? I might try and remember those words for when I'm speaking to someone who's a bit spiritually depleted. In fact, I might keep them very close to heart for when I feel that too. And I wonder if you might do the same. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. And then, uh, verse 19b, as he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger. And I said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. What does he do with his extra strength? Now he's able to stand up and speak and all this kind of stuff. Now he can speak. He wants to listen. He wants to listen now. He's got this energy. And this is what the man says, verse 20. He replied, do you know why I have come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. And after that, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. Basically, he's saying more spiritual warfare is about to happen. It's going to happen as they fight against Persia and fight against the spirit prince of Greece. And with all of this, you can see Daniel's thinking, what's it going to be like? How's it going to end up? Is it possible that God might not win? Uh-uh. Well, the last verse in this passage says to us, Meanwhile, I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. He talks about this book of truth. It reminds us of the book of life in Revelation and the scroll with the seven seals. In this is history. In this is reality and God has got it. In all of this, God is in control, even over evil, especially over evil. 
For the Lord of the things we can see is also the Lord of the things we can't. Because there is so much more to life than just what we can see. For the main contest today in the world in which we live is a contest between the men and women who think that this world is all there is and therefore there is no hope, no eternal life, no God, no forgiveness of sins, no Holy Spirit. And those who believe, as I do, that God is true, that his kingdom will come, that there is eternal life and that angels exist. I believe in the Holy Spirit and angels and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what I'm on about. We're going to sing.